0: Hey there, dog people of the internet. It's Sarah, and this is CogDog Radio. If you've been listening for a while, you know that the episode that's supposed to happen this week is an interview with Prime's owner, Heidi. But Heidi and I are both on our way home from Sinosport World Games in Scottsdale, Arizona, and I decided to go ahead and push that interview out for another couple of weeks, but didn't want to leave you guys without an episode. So today I'm just going to um, answer an email question. I'm going to read you a really nice email that I received, and I'm going to talk a little bit about sport. So that's what you've got in store, and I will interview Heidi in a couple of weeks. So the first thing I want to do is just read you a part of this really nice email that I got. Um, I got it from a woman named Lindsay and she has a dog named Ida, and Lindsay says, I'm extremely grateful that you started Cog Dog Radio. Although most of my experience training dogs as an amateur slash volunteer is in positive reinforcement, the simple ideas of making sure communication is clear and making sure that consent is part of the picture has been very illuminating. Your podcast also came at a very fortuitous time, I have been training in agility with my first agility dog, Ida, for about eight months. For the first seven of those, she was extremely timid in the ring, easily disturbed by something as simple as someone across the room rattling a jump pole without dropping it. She was also reactive to other dogs, and despite being in reactivity classes and being fine with new dogs at home, she was getting worse instead of better, to the point where she was completely refusing all treats in a class setting if there were other dogs around. Your podcast came out just as I was starting to recognize that Ida's issues were more complex than the approach that I was taking. They weren't separate things to be treated in isolation, but two of many strands intertwined that make her who she is. And since I've started looking at them that way, addressing the whole dog instead of the parts, she has totally blossomed. While I'm sure the idea of letting the dog make the choice isn't new, I cannot thank you enough for introducing it to me and making me truly realize that my dogs don't have to do the things that I ask. And if they do have to, I shouldn't be asking. Thank you for being part of my dog behavior education. I can't wait to hear the next episode. And you guys, I get a lot of really nice emails. I do. And I really enjoy reading, especially these emails where people talk about how their dogs are doing well with any of the recommendations um, that I put forward or even without, even with somebody else's recommendations. I like it when people are doing well with their dogs. What's really special about this email from Lindsay is first of all how, how well written it is, but also just the fact that she brings up this really important point, which is what I want you all to remember, which is that A dog is always more than just one problem, and every behavior in the dog's repertoire is always linked to other behaviors. So you can have a dog that's struggling with agility and totally fine outside of the ring, and you can also have a dog that's amazing at agility and not fine outside of the ring, and you can have a dog who's... Concerns about the environment in agility are affecting her ability to function inside the ring. And acknowledging that these things go together is a really big deal and very important. I think a lot of times um, we take this very simple, just kind of operant conditioning mindset of saying, okay, behaviors that are reinforced continue. And lack of reinforcement will lead to less of that behavior. And that is not untrue. It's completely true. But I think there's a bigger picture. And the bigger picture is what, what behaviors are being driven by what emotions and what behaviors are actually outside of the dog's control. Because trying to change something within an operant conditioning mindset implies that the behaviors that the dog is exhibiting are within that dog's control. And that's actually not always the case. And so realizing that something may not be within the dog's control is actually pretty important. Um, And so thank you, Lindsay. I really appreciate that email. And then another email that I got um, is a really common question. And that I get, which is that I mentioned that Prime would slap himself with a toy to self-soothe. And that, um, so that slamming the toy around and hitting his own body with the toy is a self-soothing kind of stress response behavior. And that I, I don't see it as under his control. I see it as compulsive. I see it as something that he's compelled to do based on other things that are going on um in the environment and <laughs> the email that i got actually indicates that her dog um hits himself with a toy to the point of it it potentially being painful and she would actually like to intervene and make this dog stop doing it um but now listening to the podcast thinking maybe the, maybe intervening is not the not the right route and what i would like to say is that um Self-soothing behaviors come in a lot of forms. Some dogs bark ringside, some dogs slap themselves with a the toy, some, t- some dogs just um, suck on or chew the toy, and all of these things are actually okay as long as you recognize what they are, as long as you see that they are coping mechanisms. Um, and when a coping mechanism runs out, or if the coping mechanism actually ramps the dog higher, then you're going to be in, t- in trouble. Um, something that we can talk about in a future podcast is just actually teaching the dog coping mechanisms that are kind of socially appropriate. And if slapping yourself with a toy is socially appropriate and you need to do that right before we go into the ring, then that's actually okay. And, but if slapping yourself with a toy works you into a state of not being able to think or run, um then we have a problem. So for instance, my dog Iggy, if she's spinning too high ringside, she wants to bark. That's her kind of go-to self-soothing mechanism is barking. And first of all, it's not totally socially acceptable. It's more acceptable in some venues than uh, versus others. I find the USDAA crowd to be more accepting of barking than the AKC crowd. but it does legitimately disturb some dogs. It might disturb the dog in the ring. It might disturb the dog near you. So I, I find a lot of excessive barking to be something that we probably want to replace with a more appropriate behavior. Um, and then bigger than that for me is that if I allow Iggy to carry on barking, and I say allow meaning I could intervene and ask her to do something else, not that I would make her stop. I think a lot of people talk about, you know, people allowing, and I'm putting that in in air quotes, you can't see my hands, (laughs) Um, allowing certain behaviors to carry on. And they mean to say they'd like to see that dog corrected. And that's certainly not what I mean. I mean to say that I can ask Iggy to engage in other behaviors so that she isn't barking, or I can allow her to just stand there and bark. When I allow her to stand there and bark, I start to get stuff that I don't like. and What I start to get is, we go into the ring and I don't have a dog anymore. We go into the ring and her pupils are enormous and um, she's not able to keep bars up or stay on the start line or any of those things that require more mental capacity because she has blown it all in the barking. Um, The barking amps her higher and I see a lot of dogs slapping themselves with a toy and actually amping them higher and in the same sense there are dogs that can tug and have an outlet through tug and there are dogs that ramp higher while tugging. So the key here, you guys, is to know your dog and to know what's going on and to recognize these things as a coping mechanism and not um, not necessarily as a, you know, just kind of fun play behavior for them, especially if it appears compulsive, especially if it appears to be something that um, the dog has to do in certain situations and so those are just a couple of great emails that i got recently now i've just got a couple of words on sinusport which is just to say that wow it's this is my let's see uh fourth time going and my i think seventh national event overall but my fourth sign sport um it could be my eighth i'm not sure and i gotta say there's it's an environment like no other um you've got music and you've got a ton of dogs and you've got herding going on over here so there's a pen full of sheep over here and then you've got lure chasing um over here so there's a, a dog doing kind of a practice lure course thing um and then you have dock diving and you've got vending and you have spectators and you've got six rings running of agility. And, um, what I wish to impart on everybody is just that, you know, realize that this is not just an overwhelming environment for you. This is an, this is an overwhelming environment for a lot of dogs. Um, while I saw, you know, some handling degrade in certain situations, myself included, I also saw some dog behavior degrade in other situations. And what I want to say is I can't express enough how important it is to have those decompression behaviors, or I'm sorry, decompression activities as a part of your trial routine. So this is something that I figured out for myself, certainly. Um, And I heard a very big name competitor actually talking to somebody about about it for her as well, that we know that we need to decompress. You're either there to compete or you're there to socialize. And the people on the podium, the people doing really, really well, they're probably not also socializing the entire time. They are going back to their hotel and taking a nap. They are maybe taking their dogs off property for a walk. They are, in general, not there being inundated by all of this stimuli this whole time. And gosh, it's important to think about that for yourself as well as your dogs. So it was very hot in Scottsdale, much hotter. I mean, it was actually much nicer than I expected it to be, but it was hot. And so Iggy and I, neither of us do well in the heat. And so a long walk in the sun would actually not be decompressing for she and I. So we went back to some air conditioning and you know lied down and hung out together a lot and she would have a bully stick and i would maybe read a book um, or log on and work with some clients and just kind of getting yourself out of the environment of the competition on a regular basis is important and if you've not ever operated like that before i encourage you to try it because it might help your performance. And if you've got a dog that tends to ramp up at a national, I know a lot of people, a lot of people, whose dogs are brilliant um, at, you know, your little lo- local weekend trials and kind of come apart at the seams at a national. And, you know, everybody says, well, that's you, that's your stress. And I'm going to say, yeah, probably, part partially is that the handler stress. But I think also it's that, our dogs are not in environments that are this intense on any given weekend. Okay, so your local arena with two rings in it and, you know, 300 dogs entered is very different from an enormous six-ring event with a lot of other activities going on. So if you plan on doing anything like that with your dog, you know, just recognize that it's tough, still go. I am the last person to tell you not to go. These are my favorite things about agility. I love these big events. Um, but make sure that you've built decompression into the routine for both of you. And you know, this is why I would also, pro- I personally would probably choose to limit the number of dogs that I would run. I've so far only run one at a time, but um, I think two would be my maximum for dogs that I'd be competing with. Because I wouldn't be able to do more than that justice. And so I think that's important to consider. Um, Thanks to, I had several people approach me this week in Scottsdale um, and talk to me about the podcast and I really appreciated that. So if you came up to me, thank you. Thanks for saying hi. Um, It was an emotional week for me for many reasons and it was very nice to just hear some nice words from some friendly people. And I really very much appreciate that. Like I said, in a couple of weeks, we'll have that interview with Heidi. In the meantime, I hope you appreciated this little filler episode. And be sure to shoot me any emails with questions or thoughts that you have at cogdogradio at gmail.com. You can find all of these podcasts at my website, www.thecognitivecanine.com. Don't forget that T-H-E in there. Um, You can also find them on SoundCloud as well as iTunes. And if you've sent me an email that I haven't responded to, that's because I have quite a few of those. So I'm getting to them. And especially there's one really long one that's very well written and thought out and I want to do it justice and I just haven't had time. So if that's yours, (laughs) hang tight. I am going to get to it. I will respond to everything. Thanks, you guys, for listening. We'll talk to you in a couple of weeks.